calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sue Smith, and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. Guys, we are living, breathing, eating scams all day long. It's all we're doing in America <laughs> in right now. In case you didn't know, it's just so consuming. Also, I finally got on the TikTok trend, which I know I'm a grandmother. I should have got on it like years ago, but I'm... I'm more comfortable with it now. I'm looking at and TikTok's just about scams, you guys. Like the most it's successful so good. TikToks. Yeah. Are yeah, they're all about scams. You probably so have like, your feed really cap- calibrated though. Very, very scam focused. Because yes. Kate, our producer, said that she focuses on farmers, <laughs> which I don't we don't have on <laughs> I get some art I get some cool artisanal farmers. I get a lot of black farmers, like hip black farmers. Great. Yeah, great. it's great. Bring it on. Yeah. Uh, no, w- mine is all these scammers. And I actually tried a scam this week that was recommended by like a seven-year-old scammer. And it said to go on Amazon, look for a product that has very low reviews and say, I will offer to give you an amazing review for this product for free. You tried it. What'd you try it with? I tried it. I tried it with crown molding because yeah. I really want, <laughs> I really want so to add random. crown molding to our exterior. <laughs> And they didn't respond. Uh, <laughs> yes. But they had zero yes. reviews. That they yes. had zero reviews. And and I took a screenshot and everything of what I sent them so that we can like post on Insta and show that like the transparency and see if it works. But but the thing I was asking for was like around a hundred to three hundred dollars. So I was it's not like a toothbrush. Listen, I'm holding out hope for you. You're gonna get that crown teased. molding, you're gonna be a queen <laughs> like you deserve. <laughs> Um, I will tell our listeners because we told them before that I did buy some more Instagram followers today. So if you see so curious about it, if you see our number go up, it's because I bought them, baby. I mean, did my bank send me a fraud alert before I purchased them? And did I have to try to purchase them three times? Yes. Yes. Do I have more followers now? Yes. Yes. They're all Russian names. I was like, oh, my God, we're doing really well in Russia. No, that's just <laughs> because we have a bunch of fake people from Russia. And then I was going to buy some Twitter followers, but they were like 50 bucks. I was like, fuck that. No, 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 not worth no. it. Mm-mm. I I think we've told you guys on this podcast, I had a terrible um, agent say to me once that she wouldn't even, no one would even look at me as a performer, writer, anything without 5,000 Twitter followers. Yeah. That's what she said to me. That was like her bottom line. And I was like, oh, okay, 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 okay. Listen, bitch, I got, I've been on Twitter since 2008 and I only got 4,000. So yeah, I have like three something. I'm just like, we're fine, guys. We're fine. Uh, but it's I so funny Twitter. because I hate everything, but yeah. in in reference to like any of my family members, like they have like three hundred or a hundred, like. Yeah. But to us, as like comedians and performers, we have to have thousands or trillions, or else you're not present. I hate everything. It's heartbreaking. Guys. I hate it, and I feel like, and then I don't tweet because like 
I don't have anything to say except like I fuck can't the tweet. world. I have too much tweet anxiety. Yeah, I, have I retweet. Tweet anxiety. I'll tell you who's a little fucking scammer. I'll tell you. Tell me that cat of mine snacks. <gasps> the cat? Yes. He. We moved to a new place with a courtyard. Every time we open the door, this this little bitch tries to get out. <laughs> Every single time. He needs to escape. He needs to escape. It's his only it's his only joy in life. And he goes downstairs. It is he, his only joy in life. Yeah. He rolls around on the concrete and he just loves it. And and there's other cats and he plays with them. Well, that's great. But then it's like, that's like what you want, though, in a kid. Like you want to go to a place with a park where they have other street friends. I know. <laughs> yes. Other street friends. <laughs> I love that Literally, you're at this point, like, I'll take any friend. <laughs> street friends to like stray animals. Yeah. <laughs> street friends, street cats, like whatever you whatever. want there to have an active social life. I guess the fear is that he's going to eat something and get worms again. Or yeah. he's going to climb one of these really tall trees and not be able to get down. Or he's going to get the influence fight. of his street friends. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're tough. You have to watch out. Because <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, Katie, Snacks is a bad boy, you know? <laughs> okay. He gets into trouble. He knows how to get into he's trouble. A bad boy. Of course he is. He's your baby. <laughs> he's my baby. He's a bad boy. And now he wakes us up every morning at 4 a.m. with this guttural. You said it per- yes. perfectly. You said that he sounds like a duck. He's like, <laughs> like I guess I know morning. nothing about cats. And I was like, is there a duck in your house? Like, I literally <laughs> I would not know from reference. I know duck sounds because I'm playing with a toddler all day. And yeah, well, I because I'm getting text messages from Sue, you guys in the morning and we live on opposite coasts. If nobody knows, I'm in New York and she's in L.A. and we just have incredible chemistry. So you'd never know. You never know. You're texting me so early in the morning. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, these little fucking scammers it. of mine waking me up. <laughs> noodle bites it works for me. It, it, noodle bites my hair until I get up and feed her, and then snacks comes in with them. It's like it's a That's nightmare. Incredible. Austin and I call them terrorists. <laughs> it's what they <laughs> are. That's the big news in our life. <laughs> but wait, you but but importantly, also you were fostering cats, and they were taken care of, right? Like they are. Not yeah, they got adopted. Murder sense, like they got adopted. Yeah. No, I didn't just let them free. <laughs> I'm saying, I mean, like they are now taking care of. They're not like the mafia term of like they got taken care of. They got taken they out. Are adopted. <laughs> they are adopted. Yes, I was yeah. fostering them cats, and I found them safe homes. Okay, good. Yeah, no, no, no. I In just case anybody was them. curious, <laughs> update. If anybody's been following us with our cat lives. Um, speaking oh. of family, our guest today. <laughs> It's like family. She's, She's like the family. best. This is her third appearance. And the she, most. Uh, yeah. The most, I the, think. I think the most. But she yeah. listened to our episode and she demanded justice. Um, yes. Like an incredible, kind, loving person. She was like, this is fucked. And yeah. we have to write this wrong. Yes. So please welcome Ellen. Ellen. Hi. Welcome back, Ellen. Oh, I'm so happy Ellen. to be here. Yay. Uh, and sorry, Ellen, you had to be quiet during that whole opening and she was just watching us. She was just like, oh. No, I loved it. And I think I was um I was making truly wild faces in this in the sky. <laughs> it was like was just reacting. That's what it's our pro- so that's what producer Kate does too. So it's just it's nice. Faces. It's comforting. That's Great. what Zoom's for, for that one silent person with extreme faces. It really keeps you engaged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I just had a, so much fun researching this. And I this is like my nerdy. So we're can I say what we're doing? Yeah. People, yeah. yeah. Yes, we're, so we're doing the we're gonna go, do the 2008 financial crash. The uh Hell, the great yeah, American we're scam. doing that shit. We're going to do um, it the yes. right way. That's right. The we correct are. way yeah. with respect and compassion and actual interesting things. And no mansplaining. Mm-mm. So, girls, I have a question for you. Do yeah. you know what money is? Oh, <laughs> wow. Starting with the question. I love it. So, um, <laughs> m- money is like a currency? Or... Yes. Okay, cool. Mm. Yeah, it's green. You use it to pay for things. Wow. I don't get wow, it. I don't wow. get it. Okay, I don't cool. Get Thank it. you. Mm-hmm. Continue to ask us questions as ladies yeah. <laughs> really that's the only way to handle okay this. ladies also ladies this podcast <laughs> is about cons right that was my other favorite 
<laughs> oh, that killed me. I was I I should have said I was going to say, have you ever heard an episode of this podcast? And I was like, I don't want to be rude. I'll just let him be rude to me for the entire time. <laughs> I can't believe that we didn't stand up in the moment. It just drives me nuts. I think Sue and I were in shock. And Sue, you've said too, and we've said this on our Patreon, you were just like, I'm checked out. I guys. checked out. I, this has been a long day. Yeah. Sense. And th- when someone's doing like when someone's talking to me like that, I just completely disengage. I would do it when I was waiting tables all the time and people were like, be like, so sweetheart. I'd be like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, I love it when you just are mute. <laughs> it's yeah. like definitely also people like that, which is gross. They love it. <laughs> I know. I know. Drives the, the boys was... wild. <laughs> <laughs> really? Nothing like a mute lady to really make the mansplainer feel fabulous. Yeah. He probably <laughs> thought it was a compliment. <laughs> he was probably like, wow. She's, she's learning so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Ellen is going to teach us. She is here to take well, us to school and be nice and funny and cool and cleanse the palate she's cleansing our feed and guys let me just say when ellen is prepared she has like a 45 page document she really does created. single space i showed it to alan because i was like y'all know i have dyslexia and he goes oh this is very long and i'm like yes <laughs> alan i know i know it is very long i'm having <laughs> trouble reading <laughs> she needs a project it, I needed I needed a project. I really enjoy this stuff. I really enjoy researching. It's so great. Like the, so when I was in New York, I tempted like a lot of different fin- like hedge funds and like financial firms. And so I'm like very fascinated by this world. And I'm not. I'm def- certainly not an economist or like somebody that understands entire but like more than really everything that's going on. <laughs> but I find it extremely interesting. And there are a lot of really good journalists that cover this stuff and write about it in really interesting ways. Um, so yeah, I, this was the project I gave myself. And we are so enthralled. I cannot wait. Thank you. Mm. All right. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this. Baby. Teach okay. us, Ellen. So girls, do you remember 2008? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember 2008. I was, I was probably drunk. I think I was in a blackout. <laughs> I don't remember. I was babysitting a family on the Upper East Side. Great. Okay. Yeah. So it's, two, it's 2008. This, well, actually my timeline starts a little earlier, but 2008 is like George Bush is still president. It's like the very end of his very end of his two two terms in office. It's the Obama McCain right. election. Um, uh, and yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the um, so we're going to let's I want to back up quickly and talk about like the root causes of the of the crash in 2008. Tell um, us. Most people, I think, kind of have a little bit of knowledge of this because it's what the big short is all about. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, the, and this was the housing bubble bursting. Um, so. Subprime mortgages, right, are these mortgages given to people that shouldn't have a mortgage, right? Like, I could probably go out. I don't I don't know what kind of a house I could afford, but it would be like a very small casita style house. But in the early aughts, people were getting mortgages on like million dollar houses that had, you know, casita budgets. Yeah. I, I was thinking, like, if I'm a casita person and then I have a million-dollar house, I would think, like, okay, instead of a 30-year mortgage, it'll be a 100-year mortgage. <laughs> like, it just right? seems like it would be for a million years. Here, just yeah. take my blood. Yeah, well, I'll just live in this thing forever. Yeah. I And I think that my understanding is that that is what the idea was when the housing market was so profitable, when, like, okay. all of these houses were getting built and everybody was making a bunch of money and there was a bunch of cash flow. Um but then, like well, a lot of with the, with a lot of these subprime mortgages, if the economy starts to go bad, in you know the uh, the fine print in your mortgage is like okay, so your normal payment is what you know like two thousand dollars a month, but actually this is a million dollar house, so you owe us ten thousand dollars a month. So now you have to pay us that. Just suddenly? Wait, yeah. what? I mean, that, I'm making up these numbers, but that's the, yeah, but that, that's that the is idea. What happened? That when, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's why people defaulted on their mortgage because it was there like they couldn't pay that much money anymore. The bank was like, this house is worth a million dollars. You have to pay us the million dollars. And people couldn't obviously couldn't afford that because they were given a house that they couldn't afford. Uh, was the bank telling them to pay more when the market started to crash? Um, th- that's the effect. That's OK. Yeah. So people sort of get like swept up in this really when Ellen was talking about like the cash flow. I feel like everybody got really swept up in this romantic idea that it could be possible for anybody that that there were these certain mortgages you could get. They didn't care about your credit. They didn't care if you've messed up in the past. It's a lot of forgiveness. And you can sort of create this really low interest rate so that when you pay the $2,000 on the million dollar property, it's not going to hurt you. But then everything switched on people without them knowing. I think that's a big thing. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's like the people side. That's like the, uh, I guess the normal people side of what is happening here as like the housing bubble bursts. And now we're kind of getting into like the Wall Street people side, which is still people. But this is, I guess, where it gets like slightly more technical. They're serpents. They're aliens. They're yeah. bazillionaires. There's yeah. no reality there. It's not yeah. people. Yeah. So these subprime mortgages are are packaged as mortgage-backed securities or CDOs, which is like the that's when you put a bunch of mortgages together and then you slice them up and you sell them off in like different little pieces. And the idea in theory for like an investment bank or somebody who wants to buy this is that you're just buying like a chunk of different mortgages. So if one person defaults on their mortgage, it's not that big of a deal because you mm-hmm. just have, there's like a bunch of other little ones packaged in there too. Um, so it feels like a safe bet. Right, exactly. And it was, um, the popular idea was that it was a safe bet. So the banks mm-hmm. um, that are giving, or the lenders that are giving the mortgages are actually selling selling off the debt? Uh, this is happening on this is happening on Wall Street. Like so, like the big financial services are are selling them off. It was almost like something they did within each other. Like they would get, they would have a bunch of mortgages for people, and then they would sell a bundle to another bank and another mm. bank. Like the banks were doing it within each other. And I also just learned that sometimes the people, who, the owners of these specific small you know, this mortgage in this small fraction of this pot had no idea that they were being sold off to another bank. Like that right. was also incredibly confusing to people. Right. And and right. apparently that's legal. You could just be like, oh, by the way, now your mortgage is a part of this guy. Like because you signed up for a mortgage, you like sign this like dirty blood contract that then you have no control over it. Mm-hmm. Right. Crazy. And that's the banks, the banks and the insurance companies selling these things back and forth to each other is called a credit default swap. So that's the nuts and bolts of like the actual subprime subprime mortgage crisis that falls apart and causes this whole like wave of destruction. But then there are other two, there are two other points that I want to hit. One of which is like the culture on Wall Street and how Wall Street works and why that kind of toxicity also made this uh, like a house Mm -hmm. of cards that fell apart. Um, And there are Two big things. The first is that like trading stocks and bonds is basically a game of rumors. Like you have a feeling or you like you think that this company is doing really badly. So you want to sell all the stock. Right. Mm. So it's honestly a little bit more like being in a sorority than like they would want to admit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, But like that's it's a lot of it's a lot of rumors. It's a lot of like who's friends with who. It It's very insidery it's very inside baseball inside trading and but if you do know anything like if you do actually have information that is actually illegal right. so you That's can only do trading. rumors like martha stewart got in trouble because she had some actual information like it it is required by law to be only via rumor like that's really crazy to i me. don't know this sounds like a sketchy thing to base an economy on yeah, yeah that's us <laughs> yeah and uh it's gonna get worse too this is like the best right. part <laughs> Great. The idea of a sorority house in Wall Street is the most fun we'll ever have in this conversation. It's <laughs> truly it's just gonna go down. Yeah. It's truly as someone who had to bring a bunch of these men lunch for many years, it's so accurate. Oof. It's exactly it's very accurate. Oof. Um Woof. Okay, and then the other thing is that um so obviously like uh, everybody knows how much CEOs are paid on Wall Street and these like they have these wild million dollar bonuses. And a lot of economists point to these bonuses as actually being a major cause of the financial crisis because these bonuses incentivize the CEOs to be very risky and to take on a lot of debt and to engage in a lot of like risky banking behavior because it would, it made them a lot of money up front. And then as the economy gets worse, you know, it all comes crashing down, but they, they were like given this little carrot of at the end of the year, your Mm -hmm. bonus will be really good if the company's doing really well. Mm. Well, What's crazy too is that their bonus is doing well, but it's not going back into the economy. It's right. like they're they're putting on their offshore accounts, like we always suggest. Like they're they're putting into their own private accounts. Like it's not their Jeffrey Epstein's, their islands yeah, that they own. It's not something that then they regenerate. They're literally pulling that out of the economy. Yeah. So white year. This is like two thousand five. Yeah, or? this is two thousand five. Uh, I think the Big Short, the movie and the book, kind of start in two thousand five. That's when Michael Burry starts shorting uh, shorting these swaps. But this is all happening in like the lead up to probably. Wait, what is what is the shorting this? I, sorry, I have not seen that movie in so long. What is shorting the swaps? Mean? Um, it means that you're betting that they're going to fail. Oh, rather okay. than investing in them, you're investing against them. So this is all happening in like the early aughts. Oh, and then there's one other big thing that is a major cause of the financial crisis in 2008, and that is deregulation. Now, girls, 
Who was the president before George Bush? <laughs> uh, Bill Clinton. Yes. Clinton? Eisenhower? <laughs> and we all know <laughs> how dad? fucking hot I think Clinton is. <laughs> yeah. Clinton can get it, and he did get it. And I, I'm I, afraid he, we're going to find out more things he got oh, later he with got the a lot. trial. I think he got, got a lot, lot of stuff. But yeah, so he created deregulation. He, he, didn't, he didn't create deregulation, but he deregulated. No. He continued to deregulate the economy. Reagan had started this. Clinton okay. passes okay. the Financial Services Modernization Act in 1999, which was a totally bipartisan act. People were very excited about it. It got rid of the mandatory separation between commercial banks and investment banks. Investment banks, commercial banks is like banks that you and I go to. Like I have my thousand dollars here and okay. I need $50 to go get dinner or something. Um, mm-hmm. an investment bank or six, however much, yeah, <laughs> whatever it might be. <laughs> um, an investment bank is uh, is like a, a huge bank that provides services to corporations and institutional investors. Okay, okay. Yeah. So deregulation means that um, they can do both. They could be merged. They can do both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think a lot of American economic policy from like the 80s on has just made it easier to be a big business and much harder to be a small business. Right. And I feel like a lot of candidates and people in the government right now come from big business as well. Like it, it's not, you, hopefully we'll see more of it, but you won't really, you don't really see grassroots companies. You see corporations funding totally. everyone going into office and into any sort of Yeah. It's a role. fucking scam. Yeah. 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 And it's all, uh, the other thing what you said, Caitlin, is right, that it is all very interconnected. And like these people, mm-hmm. like my husband and I were talking about this the other night. And my impression from like my years temping mm-hmm. is not necessarily that there's like a huge conspiracy between all of these men that go to Harvard Business School and go to Wharton and then go work at like Goldman or wherever. It's not that they're, but it's just that it's, again, the same sorority of all these people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's their own little group and club. And yeah. it's like they keep hanging out. And yeah. they all go to Epstein's Island for sure. They for sure do. Oh, brother. <laughs> okay. Allegedly. So, little fucks. Um, so okay. let's get into the let's get into the timeline, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. You ready? Please. Okay, cool. So uh, we just quiz us. First thing. <laughs> what year first thing okay. fucking make sure we're listening. <laughs> Ladies, what years before two thousand seven? Two thousand six. Eight six. Two thousand six. Great. Good job. You nailed it. Okay, great. Um, great. So that's when the that's when the housing bubble starts to burst. That is what um when we were talking earlier about people defaulting on loans and subprime mortgages, that's when this all starts to happen. Like people run out of cash okay. and they can't they can't pay the things that they have bought on credit. Like houses or a lot of people were buying like stuff like cars and boats and like second houses because they were given like mm-hmm. really cheap, easy loans to pay for. Question: okay. yes. Why why are people running out of cash? Oh, that's a good question that I don't entirely know the answer to. I did hear that. Um, so they were getting incredibly low rates, and so they were saying like, "Oh, this is like a two percent, four percent of interest rates, so you can pay for it. Don't worry about it." Then, in a three years or in a couple of years, it went up to twelve to fourteen percent interest rate. Oh. So suddenly, it was basically yeah, it, and it flipped on them without them knowing. Also, when in this like this shit documentary we saw, they were telling people the mortgage brokers would go to people's homes and say, "Oh, don't worry about it. We'll just refinance if the rate goes up." And that was something that verbally they said to every all these like innocent people that they said to them, don't worry, if the rate goes up, we'll refinance. But at that point, when all the rates went up, they all went up at the same time. So there was no way to refinance for anything lower than like a 10, 12, 15%. So suddenly mm. it was the same mortgage you had signed up and were locked into, but you had to pay instead of the 2,000, like the 10,000 or whatever. Okay, got it, got yeah. it. And this Thank is you. also just like the, it's. This is also just like the cycle of a capitalist economy. There are up periods yeah, and there are down periods. Yeah, ups and flows. Yeah, yeah. Um, capitalism yeah. is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After this document, I turned to Alan and I'm like, "We can never buy a house, right?" He's like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's we can." I, I have no idea how we'll ever buy a house. I mean, well, in California, they have first time home buyers can put three percent down. Oh, okay. Yes, let's move. So there you go. <laughs> okay, cool. So 2006. Housing bubble is bursting. And at this point, so people start defaulting on their mortgages and a third of all mortgages are subprime or they are defaulting on, right? And so this Mm -hmm. is like the, this is the match that start, that like lights the whole building on fire, right? Because as we said earlier, all of these banks have these CDOs. So they have a bunch of mortgages that are toxic assets and they don't really know how many toxic assets they have because this one person who defaulted on their mortgage 
a little bit of their mortgage is owned by a bunch of different groups and a bunch of different people. Okay. Yeah. So it's all poisoning the same water. So it's like shady because if you split up one person's mortgage to like 500 groups, (laughs) it's going to mess them all up. Yeah. Yeah. So in really, they're fucking themselves over Mm -hmm. completely. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. They got themselves in this mess and then Mm -hmm. they didn't really get themselves out of it. No. The U.S. government got them out of it. They were fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the end of the story is, this sucks. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, this is not a happy story. Okay. So what, ladies, mm-hmm. what's the year after 2006? <laughs> 2007. <Eight>. Yeah. Seven. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um. <laughs> I was thinking the number, but I said something else. I'll never say it correctly. When you call me ladies, I do get very nervous. Oh, no. still, <laughs> but sorry. keep doing it. It's fun. Sorry. It's exciting. It's PTSD. It's exciting. <laughs> Okay, so 2007, honestly, not that much happens in 2007. This is just the beginning of, this is just Wall Street realizing, like, oh, this might be really bad. Like, there's kind of... So they're sort of getting ideas. Yeah, everyone... So Bear Stearns, who we're going to talk about, they're an investment bank and a brokerage firm. They start to have a bunch of liquidity problems. Liquidity meaning that they, like, don't have enough cash on hand to pay off their debts or, like, pay off bills they have. Um and when Bear Stearns, I thought Bear Stearns was a person, like <laughs> the one who sang the Christmas songs in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's Bear Stearns. Yeah, that's what I thought. He's a and Christmas in the document, you're like, in the document, Ellen, I was like, really important things. And this is what happens to Bear Stearns. I'm like, who's this guy? Never heard of him, but he sings Christmas carols. Okay. What is that guy's name, though? Uh, Burl Ives. That's. <laughs> Burl Ives. <laughs> As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Bear Stearns. Okay, yeah. Back to Bear. Um, they, they just start to have trouble, and they're the first major, like, Wall Street financial institution to have trouble. So this is when Wall Street is like, mm, this might not be great for us. This We might get in trouble mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so grown women... What year comes after 2007? <laughs> Katie. Eight. Yay. Good job. Okay. Finally. So 2008, this is um, kind of when the shit seems to hit the fan. This is when this is things are starting to get back okay. now. This is March of 2008. Um, and also, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I think also if you've, if you've seen the movie The Big Short, 
I at least personally had the impression that like, oh, everything happened in like a week. And there is a crazy yeah, week that we're going to get to. But it, it really lasted most of 2008. It was crazy for almost this mm-hmm. entire year. It's, it's longer than like what you walk away with. As, uh, Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in March of 2008, March 17th, the Federal Reserve, which is like the Bank of the United States, they help fund okay. the sale of Bear Stearns to J.P. Morgan. So Bear Stearns oh. has $46 billion in mortgage assets that are like toxic. Yeah. So Bam. they have like oh, wow. $46 billion that they just like can't pay for. Um, they're facing bankruptcy and the Federal Reserve does not want to let them go to bankruptcy because they're just worried that that is going to spin, like throw the rest of the market and the economy into like a tailspin. And they're really worried about it. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they basically like play matchmaker with JP Morgan and they go to JP Morgan and they say, we're going to underwrite this debt that Bear Stearns has and you have to buy them. And uh, JP <laughs> Morgan, yeah, they're like, it's um this is this is not socialism but it's like the government coming in and being like hey the company A you have to do this for company B or everything is going or the economy everything is going to fall apart. That sounds bad. Break. That okay. doesn't sound like what we do. Also it sounds like JP Morgan cuz what I've heard is like JP Morgan's this big bad villain like of course but I didn't realize how much they were required to be pulled into it. Yeah, they were JP Morgan at this point in time was considered and still yeah, and still is, was considered, like, one of the, like, quote-unquote healthiest banks. Um, they didn't mm-hmm. have a ton of toxic assets, or they had less toxic assets than other banks on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were kind of, like, forced into it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Weird. Yeah. Wow. Um, so this is not technically a bailout. It is, like, the Fed giving money to, again, to one, to one company to, like, pay for another company. They're not totally bailing this company out. And... Bear Stearns does have to pay this a lot of money back to the Federal Reserve or J.P. Morgan does. Um, but like the public perception is that Bear Stearns got a that they got a bailout and that Wall okay. Street got bailed out by mm-hmm. the Fed. So this is obviously like pretty unpopular. I mean, I think Democrats don't like this. Republicans don't like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the American ethos in general is like <laughs> it's capitalism, baby. We don't yeah. want the government up in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So around this time, there's another firm called Lehman Brothers. Okay. Um, not RIP, brothers, but right? <laughs> R- yeah, RIP. They're gonna. The story of their demise is uh, is taking over. So Lehman Brothers mm-hmm. knows that they are in like deep trouble. They have just as many. They have about as many toxic assets as um, Bear Stearns did, and they are kind of slowly realizing that they need somebody to buy them. They need a cash infusion, so they start like putting feelers out to all a whole bunch of different banks all over the country and all over the world to be bought. Um, oh, they wow. approach Warren Buffett, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really interesting. There's a Korean bank that they go after. Um, we're going to, we're going to get to this, but so at this point in time, also se- the secretary of the treasury, Hank Paulson um, was really pressuring them to find a buyer. Mm-hmm. So, the role of the Treasury and the Federal Reserve for most of this year was kind of looking at everything that was happening, being really worried about it, and then actively working behind the scenes with all of these Wall Street people to try to find private sector solutions. Wow. They basically were like, yeah. They were like completely involved Wild. in this weird yeah, way. They were, Wild. Yeah, they were seems totally, like totally involved. From the from the coverage that we've seen, I they only became involved at the very end. Like it, I wouldn't have known any of this. I thought that like common knowledge was that they swooped in and they did some sort of bailout, but it really seems like they were very much involved in the beginning. Yeah. I mean they do swoop in and bail out, but they they knew this was happening like the whole time. This was kind of a they were all they were panicking for a long time. Got it. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to come back to Lehman Brothers. But now we're at September 7th, 2008. And this is when the government does another big government thing that we don't think the U.S. is doing. And they take over Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are kind of weird. They're uh, government-sponsored entities, GSEs, that were companies that were formed after the Great Depression. The idea when they were formed in the Great Depression was that um, they were mortgage companies to help, like, average people get mortgages. Okay. Um, they, they, they have some government ownership, but they were at this point in time, private companies. They had a lot of subprime loans and they were no longer solvents. So they were on the verge of collapse. Uh, solvent means that they like couldn't pay their bills. Okay. All defaulted. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. So they were just about to default on everything. So at this point in time, the Fed, then the Fed comes in and is like, okay, we are 100% taking you over and they are placed into a conservatorship and they are actually like just now getting out of it. Wow. Wow. I, I feel like there were a lot of like older people involved in Freddie Mae and Bernie Mac or whatever. <laughs> Bernie. <laughs> God rest his soul. <laughs> R.I.P.M. Uh, whatever those things are. <laughs> the fertilized Bernie Mac pink. <laughs> so I feel like because they're from the Great Depression, a lot of senior citizens had a lot of faith in them. Yeah. And they also, this is also, I think that they had a lot of subprime loans and toxic mortgages because they were giving loans to like normal people, you know, that mm, had been, yeah, yeah. yeah, had been told that they could get this like crazy rate or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And then Bernie Mac died. <laughs> and it was a it whole was thing. It threw everybody <laughs> off when Bernie Mac died. Oh my God. It really made a confusing moment. Yeah. A real tumble. Okay. So at this point, the federal government has bailed out Bear Stearns and they've taken over Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So kind of the idea, people on Wall Street are thinking, oh, the government will probably bail out companies if things get really bad. So which is mm-hmm. what makes this uh, this weekend, totally crazy and confusing. This is the weekend of September 10th. So no, sorry, September 12th. This is in my document. This is my aunt's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> this, the title of this uh, page is this is where the mayhem starts. And this is like truly wild and it. truly gripping. Okay. So it looks like Lehman Brothers is going to collapse. It looks like they're going to declare bankruptcy. So Hank Paulson, who is the secretary of the treasury and Christopher Cox, who's the chairman of the SEC, calls up all of the CEOs of all of the major Wall Street banks and is like, hey, I need your butt down at the Fed in New York at 7 p.m. You must be the only person who's not invited is the CEO of Lehman Brothers, obviously. But he was like, get your butt here and do it now. So like the CEO of Citigroup is there. JP Morgan's there. Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, uh, Bank of America shows up later. But then and Goldman is there. It's like this room of it. Okay, there's a move. There's a book and a movie called Too Big to Fail. The movie is okay. The book is great. But this scene Mm -hmm. in the movie is truly so much fun when all of these men are getting out of these cars and they are just like, they're giving their name and like who they are. And it's like a murderer's row of like white actors in their 50s that are... Yeah, the richest people ever. Yeah, and truly it's like very delightful. It's like a a fun scene. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't get over... And Ellen, this will shock you in a little bit, like after you've been here for a while, seven o'clock on a Saturday? On a Friday, yeah, yeah. No, but New York City though, Sue, New York City. <laughs> oh, never sleeps, never That's sleeps. That's it, well, never I mean, fucking sleeps. Most of these men, like some, one of these guys was like up in Connecticut at his house. It was, they were like, they were leaving work for the day and the Fed- but they have private jets, right. so it's like- Oh my on. God, the, one of the details about Lehman Brothers is that their, CO, their COO would take a helicopter to work every day from his house in Long Island. <gasps> every day? Every what? single day. Yeah. Some, Fuck some, that guy. Yeah, some succession bullshit up in here. Um, yeah. Okay, so basically he gets, so the Fed gets all of these people in, or the Treasury, the Department of the Treasury gets all of these men in this room together and he's like... And they're for sure all white men. They're all white men. <laughs> 100 P. There's yeah. one Indian man, and I believe that all of the oh. other are white men. No women. No women. Not a woman. Not a woman Actually, to be found. The only woman, the only woman that really plays a big role in this story uh, was fired back in, like, April. So oh, don't worry about her. <laughs> we don't need any women. No, don't no. worry. They got rid of that real fast. They blamed it on her. Yeah. She's spending too <laughs> they, much time peeing. In fact, she's, she's in jail. <laughs> <laughs> But she had her period for too many years. Ugh. Ugh. Always with the cramps. I also really prickled at the description of her in this book that was like, she had a penchant for sex in the city stilettos. I was like, I'm sorry. That's the standard what? on Wall Street. You're so you're required yeah. to wear heels. It's literally in yeah. the outfit description. Damn. Yeah, pretty rude. That's Fuck crazy. that. Anyway, um, where are we at? Oh, okay. So all these men we're are in a room Friday together. Night. Friday night. All these men are in a room together. From the government, you have Hank Paulson, who's the treasury of the secretary. Um, and then you have Timothy Geithner, who is the chairman of the New of the New York Fed. So the, the Federal Reserve has like the chairman who's in charge of all of them. That is Ben Bernanke at this point. And then the Federal Reserve has a bunch of different branches in the United States. And Tim Geithner is the head of the New York branch at this point in time. Okay. So and Tim Geithner is really the one who starts making these plans um putting these these private sector and public sector plans together. So 
Okay. I'm just, so these are the options that Timothy Geithner gave and, and the rest of the federal government gave to all of the men that are in this room. Okay. So option number one is that they find someone to buy Lehman Brothers, just like in total, right? Option number two is that all of these private CEOs and their banks, they buy some of like the toxic assets that Lehman Brothers have so that, so that somebody else can come along and buy the good parts of Lehman Brothers. This is kind of what happened with Bear Stearns a little bit. Um, and Burl Ives, yeah. Yeah. And then door number three is that Lehman declares bankruptcy and that, and, and that like the world goes into an economic tailspin. So Timothy Geithner was like, we don't want option number three. We want option number one and we want option number two. Okay. So over the course of this weekend, um, so all of these CEOs basically like start looking at Lehman Brothers accounting because th- this is the thing when people talk about this being really hard to understand is that it was really hard to understand the like the CEOs of these companies. Nobody knew how to properly value these assets because it was, you know, all these little mortgages that were split up and then had divided, had been sold like from one bank back to another bank, to an insurance company, back to a bank again. It all became like meaningless at a point in a way. But also worth millions of dollars. (laughs) Yes, it's that's exactly right. It's both of those things. Um, So all these CEOs are like trying to sit down and figure out what exactly is going on at Lehman Brothers. Okay, so here are the two people that the two groups that were thinking about buying Lehman Brothers were Bank of America, and they bow out after mm-hmm. looking at their books and they're like, "This is really bad. You're gonna. This is a bad company. We can't buy this." Yeah. Um. So the other one is Barclays from England. They're a British bank. Um. Mm-hmm. And they on Saturday, everyone's been working around the clock. By Saturday, Barclays is like, "Okay, we will buy the good parts of this bank." Um. And all the CEOs were like, okay, each of us will put in a, a $1 billion and we will buy the crappy part of it. That's crazy. I don't, I can't believe they would ever say that. Yeah. I mean, I think that the U.S. government was basically like strong arming them and they were, because everyone was really yeah. worried and rightly so that the economy was just going to nosedive. And they were basically saying like, you have to do this for your country. What? Well, yeah. And as you were saying, it could be a global nosedive. So it seems right. like Barclays was like, no, we're going to take this part out to at least help globally keep afloat. And then, because when you gave those two options, I was like, no American bank is going to want to take all the shit ones. Like, right. They're going to want to run away. Well, Barclays and Barclays is only buying Lehman Brothers because they're only buying the good parts. And the right. the American companies had agreed to spin off the bad parts and buy the bad parts. Um Okay, so, but that deal falls apart on, like, late Saturday night because the British regulators put a kibosh on it. They say, nope, this is a terrible oh. deal. Um, can you, okay, if you could come up with the most outrageous British name, what would what would it be? This is a fun mm. creative question, not oh, a quiz. so fun. Oliver Craddock. <laughs> I'm going to say Farmington Farquad. Oh, Farmington Farquad's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, it's truthfully, neither of those are as British as the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Alastair Darling. Oh, Alastair <laughs> Darling, oh, no. excuse me. Oh, yeah. No, Darling. Chancellor. No, thank you. Yeah, Chancellor. So he was the British regulator that didn't allow Barclays to buy Lehman Brothers. Okay. okay. All right. So this is Sunday. This is Sunday night, and the Fed tells Lehman Brothers that it's not going to bail it out. It's not going to do what it did with Bear Stearns and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And they have to declare bankruptcy. Okay, but that makes sense because if you have a business and it's like you're doing a bad business, your business should close up. Like you shouldn't, somebody shouldn't buy that business. And that usually is something that does happen, but like this seems like it was a crazy, all these businesses at once were doing it. So you are absolutely correct that that is something that should happen. But the concern, the concern on the part of the Fed and the U.S. government is that this business is, is this is where the phrase too big to fail comes from. And that this company declaring bankruptcy is going to destroy the rest of the American economy. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So they declare bankruptcy at 1.45 a.m. on Sunday night. And it's the largest bankruptcy filing in U.S. history. Okay. Damn. Wow. So on Monday. So it was three banks at once that declared it or just oh, just, no, just, just, Lehman just Lehman Brothers. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So on Monday, September 16th, after Lehman Brothers has declared bankruptcy, the stock market like totally nosedives. It absolutely tanks. At first, it looks like it's going to be okay. And then just kind of the bottom falls out. Everybody's selling. People are freaking out. Okay. So 
Monday morning, Timothy Geithner calls back up the CEO of JP Morgan and the CEO of Goldman Sachs. And he's like, okay, I need you guys to come back down here. You have to figure out a deal to buy AIG. So they yeah. get on your their, helicopters. They get on their <laughs> helicopters. They fly back down there. Um, and basically, they were looking at the AIG banks, and there was not a private se- sector solution. They, were, they had too many bad assets. This is what the JP okay. Morgan guy said. AIG has $50 billion in collateral, and they need 80 to $90 billion. I don't know how we bridge Ooh. that gap. So that's a billion of 30, right. yeah, a, a break of 30 to $40 billion. That like, wh- whereas like maybe a bunch of banks were willing to throw in $1 billion to help out one company, they weren't going to throw yeah, in Maybe 25. 80 million. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> right. So the other thing that's, that's bad that's about to happen to AIG is they're about to get a ratings downgrade. Like, um, you know how companies are like rated based on if they're good or not? Yep. Hot or not. Yeah. Yes. Hot, hot or, or not. not. Yeah. AIG <laughs> was about to get not hot. Not oh. hot. Okay. <laughs> Thumbs down for AIG. Thumbs down. Okay. So in the afternoon, after all morning and all weekend being like Tim Geithner saying, the Fed is not going to bail these companies out. We are not going to bail these companies out. On Monday afternoon, he's like, okay, what does it look like if the Fed bails out AIG? So this is what they do. Wow. They provide, the U.S. government provides $80 billion an $85 billion loan to stop the bankruptcy and take ownership of AIG. So they fire the CEO, they replace him with the new CEO, and they basically have veto power over the company. Um, so there's kind wow. of this sense, this wild sense of whiplash on Wall Street and in the public eye in general, because the Fed has bailed out. So first they bail out Bear Stearns, then they bail out Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and then they they don't help Lehman Brothers. They let Lehman Brothers collapse. And now they're helping AIG. This is crazy, though, because AIG getting an $80 billion loan, and that's just one of these companies from the government. Like, that's insane. That's so much money. So actually, I want to read this quote that this is from, obviously, so at this point in time, this is also something I had forgotten. George Bush is president, but the Democrats control the House and the Senate, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So Ben Bernanke, who's the chairman of the Fed, is like meeting with, this the Republican administration and saying like, okay, this is this is why we have to do this. And he, um, I'm just going to read this quote, Mr. President. Let's step back for a minute. Donning his professorial hat, he explained how deeply entwined AIG had become in the banking system. More important, he tried to appeal to the everyman in Bush, emphasizing how many citizens and small businesses depended on the firm. People used AIG's life insurance policies to protect their families. They used AIG's annuities to fund their retirements. AIG also provided surety bonds, a kind of guarantee for construction projects and public works. The president then posed a question that in its own way went directly to the heart of the problem. An insurance company does all this, and this one, AIG, did. So Hmm. that's why the Fed feels like they need to to bail out AIG, because not only is it going to send the economy into a tailspin, but it's going to affect, like, us normals. Us, us mm. Main Street people. I have a question. So, like, when Lehman Brothers collapsed and they own people's mortgages and stuff, like, what happens to that mortgage? They just don't have to pay it, or what? That's like a good way to get a house, is what I'm saying. It's a good little <laughs> scam. Yeah, Alan was telling me that then eventually, if the banks couldn't play it, then they would just foreclose on these people and just be like, you don't have this anymore. You don't oh have a house God. anymore. You don't have anything, right? So it's really like creating kicking people out in a sense. Now, Damn. listener, if you know if this happened to you and it's different, but that's what I, I think I understand from what I would think I was told, because this is so confusing, that the banks would just turn around and be like, now you don't have anything. Okay. Yeah. Got and it. I'm Thank also you. not sure how, like, the fact that the mortgages are bundled affects that, but I don't know. This is really complicated, guys. I think the whole bundle goes under, so everybody is affected. Got it. Okay. So then I think you're a part of, like, a that dirty loan in a sense. And then I do think that that then it has to in some way affect your credit. Like it has to be incredibly impossible for you to then get out of it to get, I I remember hearing, I think that then it was incredibly hard for people to then get out of this situation. Like how do you get any other house? Mm. If you have this, if you're under foreclosure, if you have all these, like this sort of the scar on your account right now, then how do you ever like pick yourself back up and get any other home or, or do anything again. And I think a lot of people were facing homelessness. Yeah. Yeah. Ellen, I will say this is incredibly complicated, but you're doing a much better Amazing. job than our last oh God, guest Ellen. who tried to tell us this. And so it's, good. 
I'm Take following it from us, along. ladies. Girls, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> having, your, having your feminine opinion really, really makes me feel good. <laughs> oh, so good. Brother. So good. Okay. So, okay. So Geithner has, the Fed has bailed out AIG. Um, the, the next day, people pull out $144 billion from the, star, the stock market and U.S. money market funds. Yeah. Yeah. Things that makes get, sense. I'd pull my shit out right away. Yeah. yeah. Things get uh, pretty bad. Um, okay, so this is when this is when the government starts trying to pass um, TARP, which was the Troubled Asset Relief Program. Um, and it, Hank Paulson, the Secretary of the Treasury, puts it together. Um, it was mocked because he put it together, and it was only three pages. And his goal <laughs> his goal was to get it in front of lawmakers, and they would see how simple it was, and they'd be like, "Yeah, okay, great." But instead, people were like, "What the fuck is this? This is three pages." <laughs> And you want us to give you $70 billion? Yeah, Anyway, no. so it doesn't pass the first time. Um, <laughs> Go fake. Yeah. So over the next, over the course of the, of this week, a bunch of the banks just start like pairing with other banks. Um, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley convert from investment banks to bank holding companies. So they, that means they just like, that increases their protection by the Federal Reserve. Um, okay. Mitsubishi buys part of Morgan Stanley. Warren Buffett invests in Goldman Sachs. Um, basically, this was happening because all of these American companies needed more cash because they didn't have enough cash on hand. October 1st, the, the Senate and the House do eventually pass TARP. Um, but So this gives the banks $70 billion so that they can lend it out. Um, the idea of this, the, the idea is that, so the, the criticism of the Great Depression is that the government didn't do enough at the beginning to help prevent the depression. And so that's okay. the that's the idea here that these banks are getting 70 billion dollars so that they can loan it out to people and infuse money back into the economy to get the economy and started again. And it goes again. back to the people. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Got it. Um so this money does actually get repaid by the banks like years down the line. So uh sorry, it gets repaid by the banks to the federal government. So in if in 2020 we now they don't have any more of our money, but at the time that this was a bit of a like tough pill to swallow, mm-hmm. and so there's a there's a really big scandal next year when a lot of these companies are doing well in the stock market and their executives get big fat bonuses, especially the CEO of AIG, who as you remember was put in place by the U.S. government, got like a 25 million dollar bonus. Shut up. Ugh. Yeah. What a piece of shit. And yeah. I bet you nobody, that guy didn't stop taking a helicopter the whole time. No. Okay. And that's basically, so uh, that's basically the end of like the total mayhem. Um, as you remember, the economy was very bad for many years after this. Yeah. Yeah. And how, and I don't, I feel like the economy everybody thinks is good or okay right now, but everything feels bad because of COVID. But did certain things, like you said, the money eventually was paid back to the government. Are there other things that eventually did get adjusted? Oh, so this is, this is the section of my research called the aftermath slash what changes. And the first item is not a lot, babies. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So, Yes, so the taxpayer money that is, is that is part of TARP does get returned to the U.S. government, and they do turn a profit on it because they're uh, they, they paid interest, so that's good, good for them. Um, so, I, I think there I, I read a lot of studies from the Pew Research Center, um, and there was one especially from 2017 that I thought was really really interesting. But basically, ever since the Great Recession, inequality has gotten worse across the United States, like. Right now, the high-income families, it's the largest gap we've ever had in U.S. history between high-income families and low-income families. Um, And also... I remember reading about that like five years ago. So it's still, it's it's probably even worse. Yeah, Yeah, it's getting worse. Um, And also, like, this is also probably obvious, but racial and ethnic wealth inequality has also gotten Mm -hmm. significantly worse. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And this just, statistic I thought was quite interesting because I think it explains a lot of why Donald Trump was elected, but a lot of the, the demographic that lost the most, the most wealth, um, after 2008 were lower income white families. 
They, mm-hmm. I think their average income. They were devastated. Yeah. Their average income was like forty two thousand dollars, and that went down to like about half of that. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because like I think a lot of those women or women, a lot of those, it was only women that lost the money. Only um, women. They were so tired and oh, so many so periods. Much. Yeah. <laughs> so many periods. They're all also, had, like a certain allergies. Like they're on a weird yeah. diet. And were really stupid, so didn't know they were signing on uh-huh. to be bad mortgages. So needy. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I think so. That demographic, they were that was like a a huge part of the people that got like subprime loans and subprime mortgages. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah. And now they're and now they're racist. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were before. I think they were. They were just closeted. It was just more cliche. Yeah, I think that because like we all feel that too. I mean, we all live in like expensive cities, but I don't ever think that I would really be able to afford a house unless I moved away from one of those cities. Um, I don't know, and and I don't I don't feel safe about a house too. I mean, I joke about this, but like I think our generation too, and they joke about millennials being the most screwed up, but. They've talked about millennials being fucked like financially for years. Mm-hmm. I don't think any millennial or Gen X really feel that comfortable with I, the the system. I totally agree with Wait, that. Wait, so how did Elizabeth Warren save the day? Oh, Tell girl. Me oh, our favorite lady. No, I love her. What a great Sue, that was a great bridge because I wanted to talk about um the Dodd-Frank bill that got passed. Um, okay. So this is passed in May of 2010. As you'll remember, Barack Obama was elected president in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Tim Geithner, who was the chairman of the, the New York Fed, he becomes treasury secretary. And so he's the guy that's like okay. trying to kind of unwind this Wall Street mess. Um, Do we like him? I can't remember. There's so I, many names. I can't decide well, if we like him. <laughs> I, I can't decide if we like him either. I mean, I think that this also goes to the problem of like, there are a lot of Democrats that work on Wall Street. Like, there are a lot of very rich people who work at these banks who give a lot of money to the Democratic Party. It's not like, and I think a lot of the Republicans that work on Wall Street are like financial, like free market Republicans. You know, it's a very, it's kind of group thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think most people in this like week in this crisis were doing what they thought was best for the economy. Totally. Yeah, it does seem like all of this, these mandatory things were because they fully believed the entire economy would just, it'd be an extreme depression. And it, mm-hmm. the, a depression still was created, but I think they were, had even, they were seeing that it could even have been deeper and worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, what was Dodd-Frank? Oh, okay. So Dodd-Frank is the big bill that passes in 2010, two years after Obama's elected, that um, puts a bunch of regulations in place on the economy. Um, and Finally. Yeah. So, okay, so it gives the Federal Reserve new powers to regulate what they call systemically important institutions or big, like banks that are enormous. Um, They also, Mm -hmm. to handle the liquidation of large companies, they create the orderly liquidation authority, which is like if a Bear Stearns was going to go bankrupt again, the Fed has the power to step in and wind it down, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, They get rid of the credit default swaps that caused a lot of the subprime mortgage crisis. Um, and there's also a rule called the Volcker rule that limits banks' ability to do proprietary trading, um, like trading with uh, within themselves, if there are like different funds within the same bank. And our favorite girl, this is the most exciting thing that happens, our girl Elizabeth Warren, she creates the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Woo! And that is, that's the part of this bill that's about like protecting normal people. Oh, great. Yeah. So if like you do bad business, if like there's a business that's being predatory towards you, you can contact the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and they will like investigate that shit for you. Hell yeah. Yeah. Does anybody even know about that? I didn't even know about this. Go to their website. It's a great website. Honestly, it's very nicely designed too. Oh, Oh. surprising. Hey, listener. Get on that. Yeah. Yeah, So that's all I got. That's like, um, that's the story of 2008, guys. Thank you. What a year it was. Ellie, that's amazing. That was so easy to follow. Girls, do you feel <laughs> like you understand so it? Simple. I don't know. As my girls, little lady brain <laughs> can't really wrap my head I'm around dumb, it. Dumb. I'm so no, dumb. It is, it's so interesting. I think what I didn't realize before is so people talk so casually about the bailout. I knew it was not a good thing and that it felt unjust to a lot of people and that it was unjust that sort of banks got away with it. But what I didn't realize was that the Federal Reserve saw this avalanche happening and saying, if we don't do this, even if we don't want to, it's going to create something like the 
Great Depression a second time. So it could have been worse. Yeah. Could it really have been worse? Or did they just want you to think it could have been worse? Mm. I don't know. But this was also a Republican administration that was doing this. Hank Paulson was, you know, appointed by George Bush. So, and this is anathema to like the Republican ideas of a free market economy. Um, Right. So he probably wasn't like thrilled about it, but. I, I don't know. It it does know. sound hearing this side of it. It does sound like it could have been much worse, and that this is what they were struggling to do at the time. But I bet you that room of all those rich white businessmen, things were going in their favor as well. I mean, it's not like they were in a room of all the employees at all these banks. No, it was the heads of the banks who have the money, who have the cash. So whatever happened and how it went down was in their favor in a way. And these people also never saw real consequences you know right that's what i was gonna say none of them were prosecuted right none of them were prosecuted i think also the hard thing about that is that there wasn't really anyone to prosecute i mean like individuals Mm. like the whole system was corrupt protected themselves right Mm. yeah right and then I remember from the shit documentary that <laughs> no, that's what we call it. Um, <laughs> just because he's a shit person, not a shit documentary. Um, that they, the people that made the most money through all of these deals, were the bankers and the mortgage lenders. Like mm-hmm. that, the individual person, like you were saying, Ellen, that was really incentivized to get all of these loans, to get all these sort of investments, because they would get an immediate return for themselves. They would get a bonus and a bonus at the end of the year, and then they could just float on and ignore the average American person that they were screwing over. Right. Like this, this, the guy who was the CEO of Lehman Brothers is still a, a, he, I don't think he's a billionaire, but he has like a hundred million dollars in the bank. But like, you know, a normal Lehman Brothers employee like lost their job that day. Like even there's even a distinction there between like the people that worked, the people that just like, I don't know, like were the secretaries, were the temps that worked full time there. Oh, they're always fired. Yeah. Yeah. Temps go right away. This is wild. What a story. It's crazy. What a crazy time. And also, I don't know how, I mean, all I know is that like we can be skeptical, but I don't really know how in any way this will be prevented again. I think that's what makes me nervous is like, Mm. and that's why I said to Alan, I was like, we can't buy a house. Like he'd rather live on a boat his whole life. But (laughs) I'm like, I don't know how you as a person handle this besides, you know, our voting rights and besides like doing our own work to get the right people in office. But um, it feels like this situation is just set up. I think I, <laughs> I think for most of what I've read, people don't think that Dodd-Frank did enough. And um, really? Yeah. And that we, something like this is probably going to happen again. It's because capitalism is bullshit. Like yeah. you can't base a whole society around making money and then expect people to be healthy and well off and, good they're not it's just wealthy people that are going to be used taking yeah, well, care of. it's the only focus like it's yeah. the only focus right now oh that was another statistic that i saw that the group that has gained the most money since the recession is the uh like upper class families that demographic wow and well because they were slightly threatened and then it just made them like fast forward into it yeah yeah Oh my God, what a fucking trash fire. Guys. (laughs) But it was said so beautifully by you, Ellen. And it's like, if anyone's going to bring us into the trash fire, I'm so happy it's you. And I want you to do this with every horrible catastrophe that America has faced. Buy your own book. What's the name? Feminist fairy tales. Cinderella on the glass ceiling and other feminist fairy tales. Yes. Yes, buy it. Oh, I'll go buy some Instagram followers too. I'll I'll do that scam. Just do it, guys. She's Ellen is an amazing storyteller, so you got to buy her book because... Listen to how she just told us that story. She's so smart, and so kind, so clear. Feminist yeah. fairy tales are way more fun than this, too. <laughs> so fun. They're so fun. Oh, I'm going to buy it for my son. I'm going to yeah. read it to my son. Yes, you are. Okay. I'm, yeah, me too. There we go. Done. And if you've been scammed or yes. have or get this a little bit more. If you're rich. <laughs> if you're rich. Let us know what it's like. <laughs> what are your secrets? <laughs> you know, do you bank with Bernie Mac? Do you bank with Dobbs Hobbs or who's the Christmas guy? <laughs> Dobbs Ferry. I don't know. Yeah. Burl Ives. Uh, Burl Ives. Do you, you bank, bank at Burl Bernie Ives. Mac's graveyard? Yeah. Let us know because like we're looking for banks. You guys can always call our hot tip hotline because you know I love a phone call. And that number is 347-509-9414. And you can email us at scamwallpodcast at gmail.com. And you can check out our website, scamwallpodcast.com for 
merch, links to our Patreon, all kinds of great stuff. You'll love it. Yes. So fun. We love you guys. We love you so much, Alan. Thank you again. We can't thank you enough. Yay. Yay. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.